بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet peace be upon him okay so yesterday you know mashallah we had a big rich discussion about ayah three of Surah An-Nisa aka the polygamy the polygamy ayah and a little bit of the discussion was about, actually about the content of the ayah, and most of the discussion was about how do we navigate those difficult questions, uh, how do we address them. And so what I had suggested, uh, uh, one roadmap for your consideration is, and let me know if you can see the the, the one note on the screen, good, good. is... A, a basic roadmap is at the bottom is rejection of things that we don't understand or we don't like that you don't want to do at the very least in your brain put it on a shelf this doesn't make sense to me right now maybe it'll make sense later on or this i can't do right now but inshallah i can do later on so, to get higher to that is no, this does not affect me. This is the word of Allah. It is what it is, but I don't think about it. And higher than that is actual acceptance. Uh, with or without understanding. That, okay, I may not understand the wisdom behind this, but this is this is coming from Allah. And this is taught by the Prophet, peace be upon him. So, alhamdulillah. It's kind of like the difference between B and C is you're adding the word alhamdulillah to it. Right? Higher than that is you're aspiring to fulfill it. Okay. Now, if it is fard, then you want to get to level A. If it is haram, and it's something, if it's fard like mandatory, you want to get to the point where you're fulfilling it. If it's haram and it's something you're not uh, you're doing, but you're not supposed to do, you want to get to the level of trying to fulfill it. But still, it's an upward journey from level D, inshallah. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I do, I'm not going to give any names or anything, but I do appreciate some of the notes that I received uh, regarding yesterday's discussion. And let's see if I can pull any of them up really quickly. Uh, so, so some people did mention that this is, that specific ayah is one of the most difficult that they face. Uh, um, even uh with uh context and such right like you know the fact that you have to treat all the wives fairly and such and and so a point i'd like you to consider is whether it's this ayah or a different ayah something that pokes at you with some difficulty try to figure out what other passages are also giving you the same difficulty because this can give you an insight into something that is taking place in your heart. So if I'm struggling with this ayah because this is perhaps related to, you know, perceptions of, of let's say, misogyny, or when I see this, I think of those hadith where the Prophet, peace be upon him, is reported to have said that women are less intelligent than men because of X, Y, Z, or there's more uh, women in hell, you know, because of X, Y, Z, so forth and so on try to on the one hand of course try to make sense of these passages but on the other hand why is it specifically these passages that are affecting me 
And this offline, I'm more than happy to get into a conversation with any of you about these things, right? Uh, all of us, depending upon our level of faith, will have those those passages or uh, in the Quran or those passages in the Hadith or something in the biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And so compare and contrast that with things that other people might struggle with that you are comfortable with too, as a tool for self-reflection and the self-growth. Because these, when you're having a struggle on some specific aspect with the Prophet or the Quran, peace be upon him, that is sort of revealing to you a window of one of your vulnerabilities in faith. And the goal then is, how do I repair that vulnerability? Because the words are going to remain, right? So this is not unlike, you know, many conversations that I'll have. Well, actually, let me stop here. And uh, there's more stuff I can make relevant later on. Ahant. Um, from your experience in community work and then uh, whatnot, is there a blueprint that you have or a template on on certain vulnerabilities that are like common in the ummah and and some and some remedies uh okay. whether it be uh because of this ayah or something else okay very good so i'll give you a short answer for some of it um some of it is that most of our uh vulnerabilities are imposed upon us uh, they might be imposed imposed upon us by our parents, our upbringing, or they might be imposed upon us by society itself, right? And so, so uh, society itself or our parents are raising us in a particular way to look at the world a particular way, uh, <clears throat> and then within that, there might be some holes that have not been filled, and then the challenge is then for me to figure out how to fill those holes on myself. I'll give you a very, very different example, that when you're being raised, uh, very often you need validation from your parents, especially your father. Okay. And so let's say over the course of your life, you need 100 units of validation, but your father only gave you 90 units of validation. Okay. That 10 units of validation you still need. And without realizing it, you're gonna search everywhere for it. The problem, is what your father can fulfill as you know those 10 units of validation the next person it might take them a thousand units giving you validation to fulfill those 10 units of fatherly validation okay. and so one of our goals in parenting as much as we are capable is to guide our children to be comfortable in their skin and the number one limitation of that is how comfortable am I or not in my own skin? And so when I'm saying being comfortable in your skin, that is synonymous with being comfortable in your relationship with the law. And by comfortable, I don't mean that, okay, I can slack off. I don't have to do anything. Allah's merciful. What I mean is that I'm comfortable in the truth of Allah and his generosity and his accounting. Boom. And then by extension, whom he has sent, starting with the prophet, peace be upon him. And, and that would be the ultra, ultra simplistic. 
So then in our society, I mean, all the issues that we have in our society, we have in the Ummah. So gender is a big issue. Class is an issue. Race is an issue. Orientation is more an issue now than it was, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, and then the struggles of dealing with trauma. Uh, just pretty much everything you have in, you know, although we have a couple countries here, America, Canada, uh, the, all the issues we have in our greater society, we have in our Ummah. Add to that, you know, the experience of being a minority or the experience of being marginalized. And so some of you have heard this from many times. So imagine in the American default, the American default is uh, a white male, blonde, blue eyes, tall, you know, muscular, wealthy, dominant, Christian, Protestant, uh, whatever else. Whatever elements of those, you are not society's conditioning you that you're the problem. Even with as much DEI work that is taking place uh, these days, diversity, equity, equity and inclusion, uh, the default is still whiteness, right? I mean, Chris Rock's last stand-up was kind of meh, but he made a really wonderful point that, uh, you know, with all the diversity talk and, you know, I mean, the CEOs of everything are still white people, still white men for, for almost everything. It's just that the eye candy now is diverse diversity. And, and so the point is that whatever elements of these I am not, I'm being conditioned to point the finger at myself. And the biggest one is gender. And, and so in our community, we drink from the same water, we consume the same media, and so we internalize all the same things. Um, make sense? Yeah, you know, so in short, uh, it's just uh, finding out how to healthily fulfill all you know, our vulnerabilities, which is probably from a lack of validation somewhere in our life. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections so far? Okay, uh, then let us jump into the next uh, aya. So, aya four, wa'atu, so give. To the women, sadukatihinna nihlata. So basically, give women here. The translation is dower. Don't like that term. Bridal do kind of okay that term. Uh, the gift of marriage or marriage gift is probably the most accurate term. Dowry not a good term. Uh, it has too much cultural baggage with it. Uh, bridal do a little bit better, but the marriage gift, the maher. Yeah. So. <clears throat> First, looking at the what the ayah is saying, the first obligation that a husband has to his wife is the marriage gift. And again, just to address the, the whole point, let me give you a quick high-speed uh, summary of the obligations of marriage. So you all can see my screen, yeah? Okay, so first obligation husband has to his wife. In fact, here, let's go all the way. Some of you who I may have officiated your marriage, you already know all this, but um, uh, both. This is Surah Rum, Surah, Surah 30, and it's like Ayah 21. It's the one that everyone puts on their invitations. Yeah. Uh, they both owe each other. A home of tranquility. 
Sakina. They both owe each other mutual selfless love. Mawadda. And they both owe each other Rahma. So this is what they both owe each other in addition to their already Muslim obligations, you know, speak the truth, keep your promises, you know, don't abuse. Yeah. These are the obligations that both owe to each other. And then, I mean, not getting too much into discussion, in the same way that we have love languages, everybody has a tranquility language, everybody has a Rahma language, how to receive it. Having said that, all of uh, the, the stuff in black is from Surah An-Nisa. It's just that we may not reach it all. We've already seen the first obligation he has is the marriage gift. The marriage gift is not intended to be a status symbol, the way we've corrupted it in many of our cultures. It is not meant to be an insurance policy. That, all right, if marriage ends, then I still got this wad of cash. You can use it that way, but that's not what its intention is. The marriage gift is the first moment you would like of your married life in uh, what would you what would you as wife like from, from your husband? That's the marriage gift. The analogy, maybe not the best analogy, but still it's a pretty cool analogy, is that first thing you do with a baby when the baby's born, Adhan in the ear, Iqam in the other ear. So the first thing the baby hears is the name of Allah. And then you put date slime in the baby's mouth. So the first thing the baby tastes is something sweet. So you're beginning the marriage with a sweet step. Okay. And then the ayah is saying, if on their own, they give it up, even some of it, it's all good. Okay. So that's the, the marriage gift. She chooses. In many of our back home cultures, it's, there's a fixed thing, and that's what you want to follow, that's fine, but you are not Islamically obligated to follow. Secondarily, what this is also showing is the husband is coming to the table saying, yes, I will work on my, uh, this is an illustration that I can work on my other obligations. Like kindness. As Muslims, they already owe each other kindness already, but it is very easy for a man to not realize he's being a little bit too abrasive physically or in his comments, whatever the case may be. And then third is to provide. Now, one big point to think about, are all these obligations to Allah or are they obligations to each other? Those are two different opinions. I'm of the opinion that these are obligations to each other. And what that means is that if it's an obligation to Allah, it's not negotiable as much. If they're obligations to each other, then it's much more negotiable, especially in the question of to provide, it's according to what standard. So this would be the discussion that bride and groom should have before they actually get married rather than after. You know. so, any questions about the husband's obligations to the wife? In a nutshell, what is the summary? That his goal is to make her feel safe and stable. It's the wife's obligations that the tomatoes start coming out. I have a question. Hanin. Sorry. Wa alaikum How come Hanin, you sound like Sabrine? 
well, people used to think we're twins. So oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, so for provide, and you said that you should talk about it before you get married. Yeah. Is there is there any like set and you know some basics or like what is obligatory? I guess under that. So obligation. In terms of materially providing, uh, the default is usually whatever standard she's used to. Generally speaking, this is not all women, it is often easier for a man to live at a lower standard than what he's used to than it is for a woman to live at a lower standard. That's not a universal thing, but that's been a very common thing in terms of marriage disputes in my office. Uh, but think of the default as... In America, whatever socioeconomic class you're used to, uh, that should be the default of the target of what to provide for uh, the husband should provide for the wife. But it's negotiable. There are also many women that might be coming from wealth who are completely comfortable living in a super, super simple life. I also have many examples of those too. But that's about as, as uh, specific as it gets. What do you think, Hanin? Okay. No, thank you. Okay. Have fun. Okay. So, wife's obligations to the husband. You ready? Ready? Should I put it in giant capital letters? Obedience. Don, 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 don. Now, there's a minority opinion that the obedience is obedience to a law. Majority opinion, and then we can say patriarchy and all that stuff, but the majority opinion is obedience to the husband. Okay. Uh, uh, Ahant, your question. This is more a question from my wife here. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was actually checking to see if the wife was somewhere on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess you uh, you already you know answered the first one, and I guess the specifics of provide, especially how uh, uh, social structures are changing and, and this role can be uh, uh, more fluid in between the husband and the wife. And then uh, uh, two is, um, is, uh, is, is, is the, is the obey part. If you could expound oh, on No, that. like he, he explained it to us like so many times. Yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, Ahant needs more obedience. Anyway, so, so here, uh, here you have, as you can imagine, the whole spectrum of, of opinions. Uh, at one end is she obeys everything he says. Okay. Uh, at the other end, uh, if there is a case of conflict, then uh, conflict of opinion, then she is ready to give in. Uh, practically, what does all this actually mean? Is that, number one, uh, he cannot be a tyrant because he has to be kind. And she cannot be a tyrant by forcing him to be kinder when he's already kind. All of these can be completely abused. And so the question basically to try to figure out is either who's the alpha in the relationship or are you both betas? So I've seen every variation work and I've seen every variation not work. What is the stereotypical? Husband is the alpha. Wife is the beta. Okay. But I've seen at least as many examples of husband thinking he's the alpha. He's actually the beta and the wife is the alpha. 
or the wife is the alpha, the husband's the beta, like openly, or they're both betas, meaning they're both partners. And this does not play out according to culture as much as it plays out according to personality. So if you have five siblings in your in your among your siblings, there's some of those uh, somebody in, among those five is very very quiet and soft. Another person is very loud and extroverted and strong. And then everyone else is somewhere in, in between. And so this is more of a negotiation of what your personalities are like. So, and so the amount or extent of obedience is the conversation that the husband and wife should have. So like I said, in some cases, it's universal everything. In other cases, it's matters of conflict. But even in the case of conflict, uh, you know, and this is a conversation I had with this couple today, we have the hadith that everyone likes to misuse that a woman is bent like a rib. If you try to straighten her, she will break. And then everyone you know, reads that to say, okay, well, it means that women make no sense. But uh, the way to read that is that in a marriage, who's going to have to do more of the compromising? The husband. Yeah. Right now, right now, Rossi is, is actually very, very happy. But anyway, that's Ahan's wife. So, so this is all navigated. All of these are navigated with each other. Uh, before I lift, list the, the last one, uh, Sabrine and then Sarah. Okay, so you're saying that second was like the wife depends on the first. So obey comes from as long as he's, you know, there's kindness and he's providing or. So uh, what I'm if, trying to understand, if, like if these didn't, if these weren't available, if these weren't a reality, would number like obey still continue to be? Oh, nice point. That's a tough one because if if one, two, and three are not being fulfilled, we're speaking of a bad situation, right? So yeah. if number two is not being fulfilled, meaning he's being mean, like saying you must obey me, uh, then we're already speaking about a bad, unhealthy situation. See what I'm saying? So yeah. does that mean she doesn't have to obey? That's harder to argue. I'm saying already the situation is bad, if not toxic. So I'm saying there's bigger questions to address. That makes sense? Yeah. Uh, did you have a follow-up question? No, that was it. Okay, cool. Sarah Abuji. Salam. Okay, so what if it's the case that he's not unkind, he's just kind of dumb and stubborn? So like if we're not assuming we're speaking about Sarah's husband, she's asking no, for yeah, a friend. We're not talking about my husband. I, I we have a good partnership, alhamdulillah. But I've Absolutely. seen marriages where like, okay, if we're talking about taxes, like the wife is obviously way better, but the husband wants to do it and then he messes yeah. up and you know they might get audited or whatever. But like what he's not unkind, he's just kind of dumb. Okay. So what what's your question? <laughs> so like just the wife is so oh, oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. Uh, there, uh, it seems like she needs some conversation going, uh, and there it, <laughs> so like with your taxes example, uh, it might be of benefit to find a third party. So another thing, when I'm officiating a, a marriage, I also, uh, push the couple and I've gotten much more aggressive about it that if they, uh, is to identify a, a third person that they both trust, that they both will listen to. 
if someone has a complaint. Mm. So, so let's say, you know, in your hypothetical example, you know, we'll call you, your friend that you're asking about, you know, Sarah, you know, Abu X. So Sarah mm-hmm. Abu X, you know, has a husband who's just objectively dumb. I mean, he's like, wouldn't even pass my class dumb. And so, so basically you would go to this person that you both trust with your complaint if he's not listening. And then mm-hmm. that person would consider, and then that person would say, yo, I understand that you're a nice man, but on taxes, just embrace the fact that you're dumb and let your wife do it. You know? Okay, makes sense. I'm a little bit too frequent in my use of the word dumb when speaking of students, but I usually don't say it to them. I just think to myself, goodness gracious, did your parents drop you when you were a child? Anyway, okay. <laughs> any any follow-up questions? No, that's it. Thank you. Okay. Olfat. I have a follow-up question to Sabrina's question. <laughs> Because I, I was wondering that too. Um, there are bigger questions to be addressed, bigger issues to be addressed, true. Yeah. But let's say they're not being addressed and the person stays in the situation. Yeah. Um, that is that that could impact their relationship with Allah if what keeps coming up is you need to obey your husband, you need to obey your husband. So I'm wondering about that. And I'm wondering which ayah exactly refers to this. Um, the ayah is 433, somewhere around there. So, uh, um, somewhere in that in that region, but uh, the way it would play out practically, it won't be only her relationship with the law; it'll be her child's relationship with the law that's really going to get affected, right? Uh, that she might even sustain. Okay, this is the test Allah is giving me, and I will pursue. The child is not going to be happy watching the abuse of the mom, right? Uh, so, so the point being that's even bigger than than. Than that and that will affect the child's relationship with the law and such so what should happen so okay the answer if you ask you know 50 sheikhs quite a few will say no you still have to obey okay and they'll be genuine i'm not talking about the the the, the idiots among the sheikhs i'm saying the genuine ones uh for the purpose of stability but the practical process is that she will wind up taking out a whole bunch of responsibilities at the risk of her own physical and mental health which is further danger. You see what I'm saying? And so essentially what I'm saying is I would not regard it as a sin if she is not obeying her husband, uh, but she should consider an obligation to go towards paths that will lead to safety, which is kind of not answering your question, but I am saying I don't regard it as a sin if in that situation she's not obeying because the system is not working. So, Sabrine. So then why would 50 shiuch say for her to stay for stability when there is clearly no stability? No, no, no. They, they, would say for her, they would say for her to obey for the sake of stability. What stability? So stability means that if she disobeyed and he's a tyrant, he oh. would be abusive. Oh, okay. Make sense? Yeah. So, and again, I'm not talking about the, the, the nonsensical shifts who just say she has to obey because she's a woman, not those. I'm not including those people, you know. Oh, okay. Any other questions before we get to the last one? Or should we just save it until tomorrow? You know, cliffhanger. Okay. Uh, the last one is to keep his secrets. Again, this is what two Muslims owe each other anyway. And so, so what's understood from this, like we said, two Muslims owe each other kindness anyway. Commonly, a husband may not realize that he's being a little bit unkind by his language or his actions. And commonly, 
the the point here is that sometimes women tend to be gossipy now if we look at my undergrads over here uh, the men gossip probably more than the women but this is the, the the common stereotype that it is an extra reinforcement that women have to keep their husbands secrets but husbands already have to anyway that's one level of the obligations another level oh and then if we summarize all of these is that he feels supported So this is one level of the obligations. If we go deeper, all of these are actually, at one level, they look like your material behavior, how you conduct yourselves with each other. But deeper than this, uh, and let's see who's anybody here too young? No, well, I mean, Kibria's here. He's probably too young. But uh, what does the word nikah mean? this uh, even though i knew i kind of found out the hard way it means intercourse so i was officiating some of you heard the story i was officiating this marriage palestinian woman white man who was a convert and it was in her house and then i announced and you had the whole palestinian family there including his family's priest and you know you had all these elder palestinians in jogging suits everything right and so so i announced we are about to perform a nikah and then uh, I could feel like the tension. I go, Ekitab. And yeah, exactly. I like how Sabrina and Hanin both hit smiley face at the same time. So, well, yeah, we call it, I've never, we've never called it Nikah. We've always said Ketzbik Dab. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because you and know Arabic. When, when you said, when you said Nikah, I thought of, uh, there's another word, Lakah. I think I don't know if that's even proper Arabic, but you know, like I think of bees pollinating the flower, you know, <laughs> pollination. We are not so. before to get a Muslim mating <laughs> ritual. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So, so all of these obligations are also related to intimacy. That in intimacy, he has to be kind to her, and in intimacy, he has to provide to her satisfaction. And in intimacy, she has to obey him. And in matters of intimacy, she has to keep his secrets. When you look through that lens, uh, a lot of these obliga uh, obligations uh, start to make even more sense. That these are the obligations that the husband has to the wife in the context of life itself, but especially in intimacy. These are the obligations the wife has to the husband in the context of life itself, but especially in terms of intimacy. Make sense? Okay. I have a question. Yes. So regarding intimacy, I, um, I'm i not married, so I really can only speak to what I've heard from people that are married in the community. You know, a lot of women complain of um, feeling that their needs are not met and um, the guy, you know, the man is not um, listening or doesn't, like, is anyone teaching them these, you know, the intimacy part or any of these things actually, not just the intimacy part, um, because there's a lot of miscommunication and, you know, like you said, women have to obey and obey them intimately, but what about the women? Regarding yeah. intimacy, especially when 
their needs are not being met. Mm -hmm. And then when they communicate this, the guy gets offended. Yeah, so the answer to your question and is I don't that, know if this is like I don't know if this is like an auto issue or oh um, no no I can show you of, lack yeah. of lack of education or like you know I I didn't go to Islamic school but I did go to Sunday school and I uh, and I took a class and when they asked certain questions like it was still so taboo to talk about certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to to answer your question, uh, the teaching has been increasing, right? Uh, or the training uh, has been increasing, but there's still a whole long, long, long way to go. Um, and it's such a gigantic issue that when I'm sitting with fellow imams, teachers, chaplains, and stuff, this is an issue that comes up over and over and over again. Uh, that uh, you, that many would have the stereotype that men are coming in complaining about dissatisfaction in intimate life. Uh, no, at least 50% of women are complaining and the number is probably higher in reality. It's just that 50% of women have enough comfort to come forward and complain. And so this is absolutely a thing, definitely, you know, which is destroyed or corrupted even further by pornography. And then, you know, the whole marriage situation is corrupted even further by Hollywood and Bollywood notions of romance. Uh, but you, what you're raising is absolutely a very, very serious issue uh, that, is not only destroying marriages, uh, but it is also compelling all kinds of inappropriate behaviors in a lot of people. Yeah. So I am agreeing. Any other questions? I have a comment. Go for it. You should make a, like a public service announcement to all men. <laughs> Uh, if you if you if I was to list all the stuff my undergrads hear from me, you'd probably say you need to shut your mouth. You say too many things, but yeah, they 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 all hear the stuff from me. Uh, I actually literally okay. So officiating marriages, I realized nobody knows how to be married. So then I started doing marriage classes for people before they get married, and then I realized that those people don't know how to be adults. So then I started doing adulting classes, which now I do with my undergrads. And the way I do it is I find you know you know students like to be in little cliques and their little happy groups. I'll figure out who the head is of the clique, and then I'll tell that person, all right, you have to, you and your little cohort here, they have to do a class with me, and it's an adulting class. So it's about everything that's involved with adulting, and I'll even give them cool names, like one group's called the Cobra Kai, another one's Assassin's Creed, <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll let them choose their own name. These these group of first years, they want to be called the Halal Guys. So, oh my God. I was going to call, I was calling them House of Pain, <laughs> and they want to be Halal Guys, so... I don't know what that tells us about that generation. Oh, boy. So, yeah. Uh, but like I said, uh, a whole bunch of us uh, uh, community type people behind the scenes have been having a lot. Of, I was literally in Medina having a conversation about this with uh, with uh, a friend of mine who's an imam of a very big community. I know. feel like that hasn't reached the Arab community well, yet. For what for what's worth, he's Arab. He's Palestinian. You know? uh -huh. So it hasn't reached any, any community. Um, and... Most people don't want to hear. They want it. They'd rather listen to TikTok and online preachers, and so they're never going to hear it. So. Yeah. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections about anything? So what if? Can you? Oh. Sorry, uh, go, go ahead, Sadia, Sadia, and then uh, Hanin. Yeah. Okay. So what if, um, let's say, the husband comes from a more liberal upbringing and background, and the wife comes from a more conservative type background. 
what does she do in that regard like in terms of marriage or in terms of intimacy or anything actually that he asks for so and she doesn't feel comfortable in those you know doing those things that that he asks him so so his default still has to be kindness boom uh i have uh, uh, this one couple where the husband was my student, you know, before they got married and such. And uh, because of whatever in her story, her history, her personality, they did not consummate the marriage for about two years. Uh, and and so he remained patient. Now they literally have like five kids, mashallah. But um, uh, so the default that the husband still has to have is kindness. The, and then in private conversation, possibly involving uh, counselors or therapy or something, uh, they can work on it, but it has to be uh, through the lens of kindness. I mean, another point that I, that, I, that I make when I'm, you know, doing these conversations, whether it's the adulting class or the marriage class, is uh, as the women know, guys know pretty much nothing about women, uh, including things like menstrual cycles. And so, so the conversation we have there is that, okay, this is biology. You know, culture is telling women to be ashamed of their biology. The prophet, peace be upon him, did not make his wives feel ashamed. He literally said, this is something that's coming to you from Allah. Uh, but then the husband, not knowing anything about this, will then feel frustrated for a quarter of the month, you know, if not more, a third of the month. And so part of the point there is that they also have to be trained for expectations and such. And so... So all of this has to be done through the lens of kindness. Make sense? Yeah, but my point was in terms of obedience from the woman, yes, the man should be kind, but then what if he's not in terms of the value con- value system conflict? Well, so I mean, how does she obey? So then that would come down to how comfortable if he is not being kind how comfortable is she in raising a complaint? If the culture is telling her, sit tight and be quiet, then there's nothing any of us can do about it. And this is exactly what a lot of our cultures do. Right? And then maybe at most, the wife will then try to raise her kids to have a different life, or the same wife might impose the same vision on her kids, especially her own daughters. I mean, so all of these you know, hyper quote unquote masculine men, you know, with these low self-esteems that they become toxic masculinities. They're all raised by moms, you know, uh, not just society. And so uh, part of the question you're raising uh, comes down to how comfortable is she in seeking help from the outside? And that often means that she has to go against a lot of cultural norms to the point that uh, in many cases, her family will turn against her. I mean, I had another case where it was sort of like this, where uh, the husband, because of consuming too much pornography, had all kinds of expectations of his wife. His wife, as is common in our society, had many body issues. So she was already very, very uncomfortable about a lot of things, just entering the conversation. And then he went to her dad to complain and then the, her dad started quoting all kinds of bizarro hadith. They're actually real hadith, but just completely abusing his daughter with these hadith. And eventually, thankfully, the marriage ended divorce. 
And Humla very recently, she finally got remarried and hopefully she'll have a happy marriage now. But the difference, the time difference between the divorce and the remarriage is nearly a decade. That's how long it took before she either found somewhere she felt comfortable uh, finally getting married. So she did not have the support even of her father, who should be the one who is standing up for her. And so the point being that what you're speaking about is a much wider cultural problem for which uh, that requires a change in culture. And the responsibility on that type of thing would be on all of us together. I mean, that's not one thing one person can do. What do you think? Or did I completely miss your question? Yeah. And um, also when there are interfaith marriages. So the woman's faith doesn't really ask for all those things that our faith does. It depends on uh, the, the faith. That. Yeah, it depends. Uh, uh, Judaism has way more things than, than Islam does, for example. Any other questions? All righty. Uh, we were, we're still on this ayah, so there's still a bit more to cover from, from this ayah itself. Uh, and a point for you all to think about related to this is, uh, and I don't think we discussed it in this class. Let me just scroll up to the top of the notes. Yeah. Uh, number one, who, to whom is the Quran speaking to first? To whom is the Quran speaking to second? To whom is the Quran speaking to third? And built into that is if the primary audience is one thing, but number two is a different audience, does that mean there's some necessity of interpretation of the material? And if the tertiary audience is different from one and two, does that mean more interpretation of the material? as opposed to taking the text itself. So read the ayah, for example, who, who is being spoken to in this context. And then we will then explore that. And then from there, we'll get into ayah five, which is shifting gears in some ways, but still not in other ways. Okay. Uh, also, uh, we have class, what is it, Saturday? Yeah. Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, no class this week, Tuesday, Thursday. And I'll try to keep reminding everybody um, in the coming week. This Tuesday, I have a thing. And then Friday, Thursday, I have a weekly thing. Okay. If there are no other questions. Are there are the recordings up in uh, SoundCloud? So I will try to have, um, so days one and two are there. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday. So yeah. I'm missing a couple of days. Uh, I will try to have all the rest this evening, inshallah. Inshallah. Okay. All right. Thanks. thanks. All righty. No I, have couple, I have a couple questions. I do. Yes. Really quick. Um, so you brought up social media earlier, something about TikToks. With the, so have you ever thought about um, doing something on social media regarding these classes or like putting out any information or, or is there someone that's, you know, reputable that you can listen to that has these classes on social media? Because everybody has social media now and that's a lot of so to answer your second question, no, there is not a single person that I would recommend, even though there are a lot of good scholars that are on social media. Uh, uh, and there are a lot of there, there are a number of people on social media who I actually think I like who I like quite a bit, but I don't think social media lends itself to this. Regarding question number one, yeah, I've had people over the years who've pushed me to be 
celebrity preacher and right now i find that so like repulsive and gross um but i'm still wrestling with it so we'll see um you're needed i appreciate that my, <laughs> my other so. question is um the woman that did not uh consummate the marriage for two years did she communicate that with her husband before they got married that no. she wasn't going to she did not I don't know if they even got into the conversations, you know, but no, she did not. Oh. You know. uh, oh. But she probably didn't know that uh, okay. she probably and didn't I, know how comfortable she'd be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? All righty. Oh, um, for all those. So those of you, there's many of you who are also like, you know, raising kids and cooking and everything. And so one person in the class asked me to ask everyone, how do you do it all that? And my response to them was that they just keep the camera off and they do all those things, you know? And so, yeah, that's all. All right. We will stop right here. We'll continue inshallah tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah. Wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wa natubu ilayka, and we turn to you. Okay, may Allah tell the word to you all, inshallah. And we'll see you, inshallah, tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.